The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pals fans? Welcome to our special two-part episode and the 90th edition of the Bird Calls. Hard to believe we made it this far. Uh, I'm your host, Preston Ells. Today, we're discussing the uncertainty that clouds over 80s ankles. We just got a, a report from Woj about 30 minutes ago. We're going to talk some closing lineups, some bench production, uh, Pels versus Boogie versus without briefly. And then uh, in the second part of this podcast, we're going to preview the Wizards with Jake Whitaker of Bullets Forever. Make sure you you tune in for that because he, he dropped some good uh, stuff at the end of this pod once you get past Ali and Kevin. But to help, uh, I, I just... I'm Scott Trout. CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Introduce them. Let's do it now. Mr. Editor-in-Chief and credentialed member of the media, Ali Cosell. What's up, Ali? Hey, Preston. What's going on, man? Dude, it's good to have you. I feel like we haven't had you in, in two or three weeks, or maybe we had you with... Anyway, the three of us haven't been together in, in close to a month, it feels like, right? Yeah, I think you're right. So... Is that a bad thing because when we've been apart, the Pelicans went on a winning streak? Oh, my gosh. You think you're jinxing it right now. Maybe we should stop recording <laughs> at this moment. Oh, dear heaven. That's how we're starting this podcast. And the emperor of the Portacol and the man who sold $50,000 worth of burgers and drinks in one weekend, Mr. Kevin Berrios. What's up, dude? Oh, nothing much. Um, you know, glad to be back with you guys. Um and I would like to also say I'm more important than a credentialed media member because I'm a season ticket holder. But <laughs> I also had credentials for the All-Star Weekend. So there, I am sort of a uh, credentialed media member as well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, definitely can't say that I, I've done that, although I've had a couple of Magic games over here. Kevin, before we get started, you're sponsoring another ticket giveaway. Is that right? That is correct. Tell us about yeah. it. Yeah, so um, I'm going to have four lower level, lower bowl seats to the Pacers game, uh, which is, I believe, the 21st off the top of my head. Um, 
And what I would like for you to do is to go to my Twitter profile and I have the, the tweet pinned to the top. It's my pinned tweet with the contest information. And what I'm asking for you is, you know, now all of a sudden everybody loves the Pelicans in the city. Even my general manager who didn't know who Chris Paul was but knew who Ollie was is now following <laughs> the Pelicans, he told me the other day. So um, everybody loves them now. Give me the, your top five reasons you love them. Five instances that happened this season. It could be specific games. It could be specific plays. It could be interviews. It could be things I've seen a few things that were cool, like, you know, AD wearing the Marcus Cousins jersey to start the All-Star game, things like that. Just give me your top five favorite Pelicans things from this season, and then I'll choose a winner, and you'll get four lower bowl tickets to the Pacers game. And last time, if they're in the same spot, I'm not sure they are in the same spot this time. I haven't gotten the physical tickets yet, but uh, last time they were, like, club level, uh, 16 rows off the court, amazing seats. So, um, you know. I, I know for firsthand that tickets are hard to get right now, so this is a good chance. And the lower bowl tickets are really hard to get right now, so um, it's a good chance to get yourself in the, to the game with uh, three friends or family members. Yeah, I imagine those tickets probably go somewhere around 100 to $150 per pop. And if you take four of those, that's something like four to $600 worth of tickets. So this is a remarkable opportunity. Not only that, it generates interest for our podcast. So make sure that not only you do this, you know, enter to win these four great seats against a great team. The Pacers are tied for the fourth seed with Washington Wizards right now. So promises to be a compelling matchup, but, but not just to win the tickets, also to help us out, to get us some ratings on iTunes, spread the word, retweet it, make sure a lot of people know about a lot of people enter and it'll just help to generate traffic to us so thank you to kevin for doing that thank you to his mysterious uh contact for passing those along to him and hopefully one of you guys will be able to enjoy it with your friends or family uh and as always if you made it that far give us a five-star rating on itunes we've talked enough we have a 10 game winning streak you guys it's the third time in pelicans history uh it, brief history i should say it's only been about uh 13 years at this point but ollie Sometimes it's important just to look around, take a breath, and just appreciate what's around us. And with that being said, tell us about your favorite moment of this 10-game win streak. Oh, I've had 20 million, but you can't make me pick just one. But I'll tell you what, I will. I'll, I will say it's when Drew Holiday stripped Lou Williams in that Clippers game. Because that, that Clippers game, the Pelicans had to have it, first of all. I know they're looking pretty now at that third seed and all, but you know what? Only four games separate the Trailblazers from the 10th place Utah Jazz. So everything's still lumped together, and you want to have those tiebreakers. You want to uh, give your direct competition losses, you know, add losses to their uh, win-loss uh, record. So for the Pelicans to come up big after they had been winning in that game and the Clippers close, as usual, you know, with Pelicans opponents, they close the gap, it seems like, every time in fourth quarters and make it interesting, a little too interesting, but – it was huge because Drew Holiday was the one that led the team to victory. It seemed like that game. And, um, and he's done it often, actually, throughout the streak. It's not fair to say just highlight that one play. But it was just how much was on riding on, you know, at, at that moment, on that possession. And for him to come up big, what we've seen time and time again this season, where he's come up with big defensive plays. He shut down the top offensive stars in this league like Paul George. The fact he was able to strip Lou Williams, who was having a good game against us, right there at the basket. I don't know. It just spoke volumes to exactly what, you know, Holiday's done for us this season. That's be, you know, one of the best two-way players in the league and bar none, maybe our most important player 
because he's asked to guard the most important player as well as, you know, provide 20 to 25 points ever since Boogie went down. So I don't know. I'm going to say that was probably my favorite moment. What about you, Kev? Oh, for me, um, I'm going to go. I mean, there's, like you said, there's so many to go with. Um, but I think I'm going to go to the Miami game where we had uh, Okafor had five blocks, and I believe AD also had five blocks in that game, correct? Um, and, you know, we've seen all season that offense hasn't really been much of a problem, and that defense was sort of our Achilles heel. Um, I'm sorry for the poor choice of words there, but, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Seeing us play with some defensive intensity, have some great rim protection, um, that is something that is going to help us win throughout the rest of the season and be necessary in the playoffs. So seeing that defensive focus and that, that you know, two guys that's going to steer people out of the paint, um, being there, those presences, those presence uh, protecting the rim is something that is incredible and something we were sorely lacking. There's definitely a lot of examples to choose from at this point. I'm going to go with the second game, the Detroit Pistons, because I don't know if you guys remember the matchup against the Nets. I think we were one and five at the time. We just had that heartbreaking loss after the boogie injury where the guys gave it their all two nights later on Sunday in the Smoothie King Center. And Blake Griffin killed us with that uh, contested three for the Clippers. And fast forward two or three weeks. We played the Nets and we won, but I didn't think we played particularly well. Like I, I felt like we kind of just fell into that win, so I still wasn't feeling very positive. And then two nights later, we played the Pistons, and Anthony Davis, it was kind of like his first real Russell Westbrook game. He came out with 38 and 10. It was our second game with Meritish. He came out with 21 and 12, and we kind of just stepped on their throats. It was something like, I want to say like 118 to 103, but the game was never really in doubt. Uh, we just, we just kind of trounced them, and at the time, the Pistons were playing a little bit better at than they have been uh, now. Of course, they've fallen off as of late. But at the time, it was really like a confidence-building win. Like, I don't know, I I walked out of that game thinking, or not walked out of that game, I guess I turned off the television thinking, like, (laughs) maybe the season's not done. Maybe they do have some life left. Maybe this Miritich move is going to pay some dividends going forward. But uh, that, I I mean, obviously, there's so many to choose from. You could argue any point and still be right. With that being said, uh, we do have to report on some business that's come across our our Twitter feeds, and that being the report of Adrian Wojnarowski. That that long-awaited MRI has revealed itself. It it was kind of funny because Ali reached out to us, and he's like, I I think there's going to be a report coming out soon. And 30 seconds later, Woj just dropped MRI results on New Orleans Pelican star Anthony Davis. Left ankle revealed a sprain. League source tells ESPN he's day-to-day and doubtful for Friday's game. That that was something that we were already kind of anticipating. He had the bruised ribs, of course, uh, against – oh, was it the Clippers? I just lost my brain. Yeah, yeah it was the Clippers. The Clippers. DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, and he was spitting up at halftime, and the very next night he comes in and he sprains his ankle. So we already thought it might be a good time for him to rest. Here's what I want to ask you, Ali. It's kind of murky just saying sprain because, of course, you've got your different degrees of sprain. You've got your low ankle. You've got your high ankle. We're not doctors, obviously, here. But he, he wasn't too specific about how severe this sprain is. What does this report tell you? I think it's, it's a positive sign um, where I kind of expected maybe he would miss a game, maybe two simply because Jen Hale, after the, uh, the game, tweeted out that it was, you know, already swelling significantly. And, of course, he had to take that plane flight home. And if anybody knows, air travel just induces a human body to start swelling, regardless of whether he's, it's got a sprain or not. So you knew AD was going to – his foot was going to be kind of in bad shape immediately for at least the next 24, 48 hours. 
But the fact that both AD right after the game said he's fine and the fact that the Pelicans reported this right away, um, I think it, it's kind of a best-case scenario. We avoided definitely probably that high ankle sprain. And uh, so this is just, you know, one of those typical sprains where, you know, it just swelled up on He's got to get the swelling down. Then it's just a pain management thing. Just wrap that thing good. Hopefully he'll be able to go, if not against the Wizards, then against the Jazz on Sunday. That's that's my guess. Uh, what were you thinking about it, Kev? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm mean, i glad to hear that it's nothing uh, too serious and it shouldn't keep him out long. I mean, I think they should probably err on the side of caution and rest him Friday and uh, give him a little bit of a break and let's let Drew Holiday cook and Miritich you know, and, and Okafor uh, carry the load there and some, you know, newly improved Diallo get some minutes as well and tr- try to roll with that. Um, I mean, I know like uh, you and you and I were having a little private message discussion earlier with Kumar today and we we're talking about how great Drew Holiday has been and how his uh, shift in the way he's played, like how he worded it very well in his uh, article he put out today, the 10 things uh that he likes about the, you know, the 10 things to celebrate about the 10 game winning streak, which you should all check out. But also like we're joking about the nickname that I sort of was batting around about him, which is uh dress code, Allen Iverson, you know, he's sort of <laughs> like, you know, a, not as wild and not as uh, out of control, but he's playing with that same intensity and that aggression. And, you know, defensively he's locked in like AI was, and he's finishing really well around the basket. Neither were, great shooters in their career but they're they're scoring and they're just playing with this mentality right now and while he doesn't have that speed and and that iverson had he's he's getting in the lane with that recklessness but he stays in control while doing so so it's just kind of like you know like an like a boy scout version of iverson i guess um is what i'm seeing out of him and i love it a Boy Scout version of Allen Iverson. Uh, I really enjoy that. And uh, also, I'm looking at his numbers quickly, and we're going to talk about Drew Holiday a little bit later, but just three free throw attempts a game. So maybe we need a little bit more of that Allen Iverson swagger, a little bit more yelling while he runs to the rim, because that's that's just inexcusable. A guy who charges the basket, he has 380 attempts at the rim this year, and to only be averaging three free throws per game. Uh, I, I, I was listening to a podcast, the Zach Lowe podcast with Monty McCutcheon, and I sure would love to chime on in and say, hey, Monty, you watch Drew play. Why doesn't that uh, whistle blow a bit more? But we're going to talk about Drew a little bit more. Uh, before we get to that, just uh, to give you some numbers, Anthony Davis, 17-5-5, uh, five and five, according to the stat sheet, 23 minutes. Although I know that Ollie, myself, and even Joel Myers uh, really think that he had six. But uh, for now, it's 25-5-5. Five and five his ninth game this season with at least five blocks, his closest competitor is just at six. And Boogie was quoted last night. He said that I think I'm holding Anthony Davis back. (laughs) Although he was uh, kidding. It was very tongue in cheek. And Anthony Davis at that point said, from what I hear, Boogie Cup plans on coming back, but I'm going to keep selling the dream here. I'll be very involved. I want him here. Everybody anticipates Boogie will be back. He's even helping draw up some interest to get people to come out for this Wizards game. And Kevin, something that we talked about briefly, Briefly, but I want to go more into this time. The Pelicans are a very different team. They've pushed their pace from seventh to second. And so that makes some of these numbers a bit misleading because with more possession comes more points, comes more rebounds, comes more assists, comes more steals, comes more blocks. But the Pelicans do have fewer turnovers. 
talk a bit about how the, the, the spectrum of who the Pelicans are has changed. Is it strength of schedule? Is it the addition of Okafer, the improved play of Diallo, Meritich, and getting off of Cunningham? Talk about why you think the Pelicans are so different, and then I'll throw it to Ali over after because we haven't gotten Ali's take on this yet. Yeah, well, I think you're talking about very different teams within the same season. I mean, I think early on, you know, I mean, I've always been an Alvin Gentry critic. Uh, you know, we know that. But early on, I don't think he was playing to the strength of his team. And he was having Boogie doing things that Boogie shouldn't have been doing, even though that there were things that maybe Boogie wanted to do. You know, that's part of coaching, getting your players in the right position to be better than they are. And towards the end of, like, right leading up to Boogie being injured, they started to shift a little bit of how they were playing and using him. And we were playing a lot better with him. Uh, but then he went down and then they retooled the roster a bit. And the way they retooled the roster is exactly how Alvin Gentry would want to play. So he now has a roster that fits his system that he came here with that he wanted to play. And he has AD playing more at the five, even though Ogafor and Diallo are getting minutes there. You still see AD playing there a lot more than he was when Boogie was was with us. And um, you're seeing obviously a much faster team that can play more up tempo because Cousins isn't uh, isn't there. That he's a slower guy, and you have you can surround guys with more shooters. You have a guy like Okafor when he's in there who's still quick, and he still um, does things that help. He sets screens, he rebounds, he defends, but he doesn't need the ball in his hands that where, that Boogie needed. And so all of these things, you have more playmaking guys. You have Okafor, who's a guy who's not a dribbler or a playmaker, but he's not getting the ball like he used to, like Boogie would have. He's not controlling the ball, which would lead to more turnovers. So you're having more guys that don't have high dribbles, controlling the ball, passing the ball, handling the ball, and you're playing faster. So it fits what the coach wanted to do from the beginning. You know, you can say that Alvin Gentry was sort of dealt uh, a tough hand that he was given this roster that didn't fit what he wanted to do. But, you know, that's what, we wanted to see him adapt. And now that we've seen him sort of figure out what to do with AD and Cousins towards the end of, uh, you know, up until the last few games, a couple of weeks up until uh, Boogie got hurt. And now you see how he can play without him. You're going to hope that next season he integrates both styles when he has different lineups in there. And, you know, then we'd be a totally unstoppable team because you can just throw anything at anybody. You can change style of play on a whim. Um, and it's hard to plan for that if you're, if you're the opponent. And I think that's the biggest thing is that now we just have a roster that comes naturally to what Alvin Gentry wants to do. And it just works perfectly, um, for him. And also, I mean, Anthony Davis is just an incredible player and Drew Holiday has become an all-star player, uh, no doubt. And, uh, and, uh, um, you know, obviously, uh, all defensive team player and, you know, the other parts fit the parts that came in. We got rid of guys like Jameer Nelson. Uh, we got rid of guys like Tony Allen, who wasn't playing Dante Cunningham, who was a huge disappointment and replaced them with guys who were better. And also the guys towards the end of the bench or defenders, which was one of our weakest uh, areas before all this roster change. So now we have an improved defense, but still have all that shooting and playmaking and speed and even some improved athleticism now. So um, 
that to me, those are the changes. You just have a roster that's better fit for a coach that had a system that he wanted to run. And that's where we are right now. Ali, continue with that line of thought. The Pelicans in the past 10 games are averaging 125 points a game. The league leader right now is Golden State at 116 and Houston at 114. That's that's 9 and 11 points more per game than, you know, the famed offensive juggernauts of the NBA. Do you think the Pelicans are bound to come back down to earth offensively? No, I honestly don't think so because Kevin nailed most of it. And this is what I see. The Pelicans have changed, uh, or I should say there's three focal points that are really contributing this offensive explosion. I think it's sustainable. First, you've got Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday playing like stars. I think when the Pelicans uh, lost DeMarcus Cousins, they kind of lost that doubt on, okay, whose turn is it? Although it wasn't really an OKC kind of problem with uh, Westbrook, um, Mello, and Paul George. Still, you could tell there was almost like a hierarchy in terms of where the offense ran through. And Drew was always at the bottom of that list, I I, I figured. You know, DeMarcus kind of was the big dog because he got all the decision-making, all the playmaking, ran through him at the top of the key. And he was always looking for AD. And then Drew kind of, you know, was the third man on the wing there. But now that's all changed. Now the Pelicans are running more and more. So Drew Holiday's greater emphasis on on the offense, his role has gotten bigger, basically. So Drew is, is almost, I think, if not Anthony Davis's equal in terms of the importance, the amount of times he's touching it, the amount of decisions he's making on the court. And thank God he's a confident, he's as confident as we've ever seen him because he's able to handle this role. We're not seeing those turnovers in the past. He's making the right plays. He's being ultra aggressive. As you allude to, Preston, he's always getting uh, you know, to the or to the rim all the time, and although he's not getting rewarded with the free throw attempts, I do want to say during the streak he's up to four point four free throw attempts a game. So things are kind of trending nicely in that respect. So besides uh, AD and uh, Drew, the next thing I've noticed is obviously the Pelicans' pace. If you notice, after the opponent scores or we grab a rebound, the first thing we do is is Ray John Rondo, whoever's got the ball, they're looking up the court to make a pass. In the past, Boogie or AD or somebody would honestly dribble it up at least half the time, even Rondo. Now they, they've changed as to where they've got the ball up within the first four or five seconds of the shot clock, and they're already in position to score. Um, honestly, I was looking at a replay of some uh, of a game from last week on uh, on my, uh, what's it called, NBA League Pass on the video archives, and I and it was astounding to me. Honestly, there was like 19 or 20 shot, uh, seconds left on the shot clock, and here we've got Drew Holiday or somebody ready shooting a shot. And it was like possession after a possession. So honestly, the philosophy's changed a little bit. They're really, really, really looking to push that ball. And they're doing it by honestly just moving it up through the pass, whether it's hitting uh, Rondo, uh, Holiday, or more. So it's been great. And then the third thing is pressing the role players. Not only do they fit, they have stepped up. Ian Clark, it seemed like he couldn't buy himself a a basket for like the first half of the season. Now he's become a very relevant player. Each one more seems to be, you know, his aggressiveness is com- coming kind of back around to where he's being more productive than not. Uh, Nikola Miritich, man, he, f- he fits like a glove. And now we're finally seeing he- he's, he's finding his range from deep. You know, his first 10 games or so with us, the guy couldn't, you know, hit, hit from, uh, you know, throw it in the ocean basically. But now he's had a couple of good games against the Mavericks. And then, uh, of course, uh, last night. So everything is trending. The role players are doing well. AD and Drew Hall, they're playing like stars. And the pace, it just fits. 
they're running it up a lot quicker than they were before. And now they're getting all those easier shots, easier shots, easier attempts equals more points. So it seems like a very sustainable thing because they're not shooting some wacky three point percentage. We're not getting the free throw line an abundance amount of times. You know, there's nothing really weird going on here other than the fact that the turnovers are really down. That, that's going to be the key. Can they keep the turnovers down? Uh, just to give you guys some numbers, uh, Drew Holiday, 380 out of his 996 field goal attempts have been within five feet at the rim, and he's shooting at 65%. In addition to that, Ian Clark's at 63%. So our guards are really finishing well. Quickly, Ali, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question because Kevin mentioned something that kind of intrigued me, and I, I wanted you to delve a bit deeper into it. This this is the Alvin Gentry team that that you think he's always wanted, that was always supposed to fit his system, the one the Pelicans were supposed to have last year until they lost Drew Holiday for 12 games, and then they had the two of them together for something like 25 to 40 games. They were somewhere around 500, didn't have enough time to put it all together. But now he has that team. He's got uh, Anthony Davis pretty much manning the five for the majority of the game with the big-bodied four who can shoot next to him, the active uh, defender, rebounder, and shooter in Nikola Meritic, and the, the three shooters, the distributing point guard. And he, he kind of has what he needs going forward. He's going to get boogie back, and that pace is going to go back to where it was. It was still top ten. I think it was seventh. Now, mm-hmm. in the past ten games, they've been first overall. They've really been pushing it, and it's been working for everybody. They've been better defensively. Everything seems to be clicking. Is Alvin Gentry still the coach to be able to make this work with DeMarcus Cousins? I think absolutely. The Pelicans are 12 games over 500. When's the last time they enjoyed this type of success? It's really only been like once, and it wasn't even, I think, on this level uh, since Chris Paul left town, you know, and it was during that 2014-50 season where I feel like, honestly, Monty Williams' system kind of just grinded out the opponent. That's where now we're, we're, we're being the aggressor. I'm, I mean, I'm loving this style, and you're right. This is exactly what Alvin Gentry had always wanted and envisioned, but as I was saying on a radio um, interview earlier today, I feel like Gentry just wasn't given, you know, the opportunity before that first year, man, injuries completely robbed him of his personnel, you know? And then, uh, then when you figure drew holiday last season had absolutely no confidence. And then it was kind of, you know, you had other ill-fitting pieces as to where you relied a lot on say Tyreek Evans. Um, and then you had, um, what was it? Uh, Tim Frazier. He's just not a guy meant to run this style of offense. So you just didn't have those type of players. And, of course, you had Solomon Hill out on the wing. He's not a Drew Holiday or, or Etwan Moore's improved, but Etwan Moore wasn't like this last season. He's, he's hit another level. So it just goes to show that you really do need the right personnel and they've got to be healthy for Alvin Gestry's system to work. And, you know, the Pelicans have to be impressed. They found a blueprint of success. So there's no way on earth that I can envision that they'll let Alvin Gentry go after this. You know, he, he, not only the performance is pressing, but we've also got to mention how close that locker room is. He's got the ear of uh, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, Drew Holiday, even Rajon Rondo. If you've got, if a coach has all four of those guys, like listening to him, I mean, there's just no way you move on from that, do you? No, absolutely not. And I was just asking him the question because everything has been so linear and fits so perfectly with DeMarcus Cousins' absence. You almost think that Alvin Gentry as a coach is better suited to have this Amari Stoudemire guy at the five with shooters around him with Steve Nash or Rajon Rondo, something that makes it easier for all the other offensive players and and keeping the repetition, keeping the space, uh, you know, and, and maybe 
for Alvin Gentry, maybe it'll take time just to figure out how to make the team this good with two towers next to each other. I, nobody else has this other than the Pistons with Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, two really big guys who pretty much uh, dominate uh, offensively. Even with the Pistons, you had Reggie Jackson doing most of the heavy lifting. So it's definitely an experiment. Nobody can say that they know really how to do it. Maybe you could argue Lamarcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol, I guess. So it it is something that that I hope uh, continues evolving when Boogie comes back. And we don't even know uh, what kind of help he's going to be. So I don't know why we're wasting. It's just an interesting thing. Kevin dropped it in there. And I thought, man, that makes so much sense. This is the Phoenix Suns. This is who Alvin Gentry is currently coaching. He's coaching the, uh, I, I think the 910, uh, t- uh, Goran Dragic, Steve Nash, Son, so I don't know. It just intrigued to me, but I went off on a really long tangent. Thank you for going with me. Let's talk more about Drew Holiday and Nikola Miritich, and let's go to Kevin. We've talked to death about Drew, 25-9-5, most improved. He was 23-8 and against the, the, the Kings. He's playing exceptionally well defensively. He had a career-high 17 assists against the Clippers when his shot wasn't necessarily falling. falling. He still stopped Lou Williams on that game-ending possession that Ali mentioned earlier. What I want to say, Kevin, is – Talk about the chemistry that Drew and Meritish have had when when AD went out at the end of the half against the Clippers. The two of them went on that 11-0 run against the Kings. They went 19 of 29 in the fourth. Do these guys need more time on the court together? I mean, anytime you can get your best players on the court together, that's great. But also spacing them out somewhere that both of them get to thrive is also, you know, a good thing. So, you know, I, I think the way they've been handled so far has been great. And the way you see uh, Drew take over when AD was out is also something that we were missing from him in years past. And it's great to see that. And I would, one thing that I want to slightly touch on what we were just talking about is I'm, I'm wondering if you guys feel like now that there's a new hierarchy set on this team where, where it's Anthony Davis is clearly number one, uh, Drew is two and Boogie has fallen to three. Whereas at the beginning of the season, you know, you could have said that Boogie was, was the number, even though we all knew Anthony Davis was the number one player, best player on the team, that Boogie was the number one option and the number one guy that we're trying to satisfy and keep happy and, uh, you know, give him his touches. Whereas now, you know, while we never want to see an injury happen to a player, maybe now that he's injured and he's going to be coming back next year and he's probably going to be playing, you know, at least at the start, 25 minutes a game instead of, you know, 35, 38 minutes like he was playing last year. Whereas you could see, you know, where he becomes like a guy that comes, I mean, he's surely going to start, but he'll play with a lot of bench units and you'll maybe give him some time alone where he can do his boogie things and thrive. But then, when it when those three are on the court together, it all runs through AD and Drew. Like, is he gonna maybe take a step back a little bit now? And I think that maybe not may not be a bad thing. Um, and of course, I love Boogie, and I think he's one of the best players in the league. So it's not a knock on him. It's just I think that we now maybe have a little bit of a clearer hierarchy now that all of this has transpired. Ali, I'm going to throw this over to you. We're totally going off of We were going to talk about the te- chemistry between those two players. But th- just to give you some numbers, Drew Holiday played obviously so much better without DeMarcus Cousins last year. And then he kind of had to reinvent uh, basketball, as Jamel McMillan told us several times. With Boogie on the floor this year, he was still playing very, very well at 18.5 points on 49% shooting, 32.5 from three. With Boogie out of the lineup, 
almost 26 points, 53% from the field, 46% from three-point range. It's it's an interesting conversation, Ollie. Yeah, it definitely is, Preston, and it goes like to what I was just saying. The, the three weren't fighting over the same pie, but there was, as Kevin just mentioned, a clear hierarchy, and I completely agree with him. Boogie, because not only because of his role in the office, he had that type A personality on the court as to where AD and Drew did not. So I think it was clearly he was the leader. It wasn't the fact that they were trying to appease him, I think, or, you know, give him the biggest role simply, you know, for contract purposes, make sure they retain him. I think simply that's who he was, and he just seized the moment, and so he's the one that ran with it. But since then, yeah, Preston, I'm loving that. I'm not loving that Boogie's gone. Don't take Sorry, don't mix up my words. Here, but, <laughs> We're going to have uh, to edit it, that it, out. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Everything's just clearly fallen into place. I feel like AD did step forward. He is not only the best player on the team, but he's now playing like it. He said he was going to. He was going to take that Russell Westbrook mentality. Sure enough, he has. And Drew Holiday obviously has filled in everything else alongside of him. And it's definitely, I feel like their two personalities are definitely guiding the team. You can see it. You know, before the start of the games, these guys are very talkative, smiling, laughing, in the past, you know, Kevin, you can probably recall this. These guys were kind of quiet to themselves. Uh, didn't seem to be like they were enjoying themselves that much on the court. They seemed to be a lot more businesslike, you know. Mm-hmm. We had always cried for them to show more emotion on the court. Now mm-hmm. I feel like they are. I feel like something has unlocked it, whether it's been this winning streak, whether it's been having, you know, Boogie from the get-go and the fact that this locker room truly does love each other. Something has clicked with the mindset of our best players as to where – they are playing differently than we've seen in years past. So, I don't know. I think you're right. This is an interesting topic. We could talk about this for hours. I know. We're going to move on. Uh, I'm going to let, ask me just, let me just say one thing real quick. It's going to be real quick. I promise. I think, you know, like uh, how people were all concerned about Boogie and Rondo coming into the locker room and how they were going to destroy the locker room with their personalities. But I think those guys came in and that's what they rubbed off on these two players that we Mm -hmm. had. They rubbed off that type A personality on them and we're starting to see them embrace it and go forward. I think I even saw Drew Holiday talking shit on the court last night. He was. I've never really seen him do that before and I loved it. And that's a great bonus from having those guys in the locker room. Yeah, definitely. And just to go over some of the games the Pelicans have won, they've shown remarkable consistency and a lot of it, as we've mentioned, has been Drew and Anthony Davis. But the wins have been against the Nets, the Pistons, the Lakers, the Heat, the Bucks, the Suns, the Spurs, who have been flummoxing lately, the Mavericks, the Clippers and the Kings. The only two of these that you can really argue are potentially going to be in the playoffs other than the Spurs, who who's to say where they're going to end up? They've fallen off a cliff since the Kawhi news has come out. Of course, LaMarcus Aldridge has that sprained ankle, so you have to think they're going to recover, but they just haven't been playing well lately the bucks who the pelicans beaten over time by two and the heat who the pelicans uh beaten over time by one so let's 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 all agree that the ceiling with demarcus cousins is a lot higher but the system just fits a bit better with who alvin gentry has in front of him. i just feel like he knows how to coach this team and this system it just flows naturally for him uh is all i'm trying to say but let's move on uh clearly we don't want to talk about meritage and holiday they play well together was all i was trying to say i really <laughs> want to talk about the bench Sorry and i know that we've been talking for a while but uh there's there's just a lot that i want to cover and and I've been thinking this for the past few games. I know we've all been arguing about it on Twitter. Andrew Smith posted this h- hilarious caption of Kumar, myself, and someone else yelling at Darius Miller for passing up a, a wide up a wide open eight footer. And I looked up the numbers today. In January, uh, he's down in shots per game. That's not what I want to tell you guys about. Uh, the number is not in front of me, but basically, 
throughout the season as a whole, he's only taken nine shots within uh, five to nine feet. It might have been within uh, zero to five feet. But basically, 75% of his shots come from 18 feet are farther. He's not attacking the paint. That mid-range shooter that looks like it's money every time he he shoots it must come from uh, 10 to 14 feet, not within that 10-foot spectrum. Uh, we'll start with Ali. Ali, why can't we get this guy to drive and be more aggressive? We know he has the talent and the tools, and it seems like he's money every time, but he just seemingly always defers. Well, he's honestly, person, he's, he's strictly a jump shooter, and that's what he feels most comfortable doing um, for this team. You know, when he started this season, remember, his shot wasn't even dropping. Uh, we were wondering whether this guy was even belonged in the rotation. And obviously, I think Gentry did the same because I, wasn't uh, Darius Miller's minutes really irregular? during like the first 10 or 15 games. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, Preston, I, I think the hope is uh, for him to expand his game. But you can't overlook that besides being the jump shooter that he also does a few other things well. Uh, for, for instance, I think that he's one of our better passers on the team. I feel like he's, he's got that innate ability to, to find a player that's wide open, whether it's on a cut to a rim or he can sense something about to happen. He kind of like draws his defender with the dribble or something like that. And he, he finds a knack of, uh, like I said, finding that open man for easy scores. Now, the thing of obviously <laughs> what we want is for him to drive. Like you and I, for instance, I remember an exchange last night where he literally, literally what was it? He had a cut where he had a drive to the rim and he was like right there at the top of the uh, uh, restricted area. And he could have honestly had a lane because I don't remember any big guy being in front of him. But instead, he, when he jumped in the air, he ended up passing it to Ian Clark on the wing who uh, are on the baseline and he made a drive and he made a much tougher mid-range jumper as to where we both felt like Miller had passed up an opportunity to either have a layup or, you know, at least like a two or three foot floater. Um, and I think that just goes back to his comfortableness. He's, he jumps off of two feet. So in his mind, we've, I've seen him a few times this season as to where when he has tried to take it to the rim or something like that, by the time he's up in the air and releasing his shot, the defense is there and they're usually blocking his shot away. He's not a quick leaper, and the fact that he uses both legs, he really he just doesn't have that explosion. Uh, so I think he, he's almost smarter in the sense that he's not looking to force the issue. But again, you want him to be able to have that in his game. So I think that's just something that's going to have to wait for this offseason. He's going to have to work to develop like a Euro step, some floaters, some other moves as to where he can get his shot off around the rim and, you know, present that as a weapon because that's important going forward. You know, for anybody playing in this system, we see how successful Drew is, each one more. you got to be able to shoot from the outside, but you also got to be able to take it to the rim and, you know, score on a layup. you got to be able to get around a man and put it up and, you know, knock it down. And that's something that's holding him back right now. And I, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a, a bit, still talking Darius Miller. There's something I wanted to talk about uh, with Kumar is our, our closing lineups the past two games have been some version of Rajon Rondo, Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore, Darius Miller, and either Anthony Davis or Meritich. And Meritich did not get those minutes when Anthony Davis was healthy. And in the past seven games, Kevin, Miller has scored three, six, five, eleven, zero, five, and three points. Uh, he just doesn't seem to be comfortable on the offensive end. And we knew that was going to happen because with Boogie, the, the floor was just spaced a little bit better for him. He got those open looks. Boogie and AD were able to collapse the defenders, just giving him uh, more volume, I guess, uh, from the perimeter. But now he kind of has that opportunity to, when guys run out to him and try to chase him off that three-point line, to drive and to get that shot. Do you see him as the proper man in that closing lineup, or would you rather have Meritich take those minutes? 
What I'd really like to have is Okafor be out there because I feel like a lot of times closing games, we have trouble rebounding, securing rebounds and protecting the rim. And I think he would do that without needing to touch the ball. And then you could have, and if you did get him the ball, he would score. Like, you know, he's only going to take a shot that he knows he can make, whether it's that little like 10 foot jumper or a dunk or a layup at the rim. And he's not going to hold the ball. Um, that's the guy I would like to see more in the closing lineup, honestly. But um, I mean, Darius gives you a great skill set. I mean, he's a dead eye shooter. So having him out there to me is not an issue. Um, but, you know, it just depends on, I think it depends on what you're trying to accomplish and what is most needed in that particular game is what you want to close with. If you got, say, like when you're playing the Clippers, if they have Harold and Jordan out there who are killing you on the glass and on the interior, then I'd rather see Okafor. But if you need some uh, jump shooting and some spacing, uh, then, you know, bring Darius Miller, Ian Clark, Etwan Moore, whoever, you know, go go with some shooters out there. I mean, I don't think it should necessarily be a set closing five. I mean, I like the idea of us dictating what 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 the other team should do. We we are the ones you need to match up against. But that being said, you know, if I'm gonna, I, I don't have any problem with them sending Darius out there because he does hit jump jump shots and he does move the ball, like Ali said. And I think one thing we can do to help him stop jumping off of two feet and learn to get off of one. Uh, get off of one foot is maybe get him a skateboard in the off season, <laughs> keep him like how to ollie, and then you know that it'll start coming more naturally. I mean, it's true. That's like I started skateboarding when I was eight years old, and that's you know the basis of your of uh, learning tricks is is the ollie, and that's uh, launching off of one foot, and that'll get him comfortable. Honestly, it's not. I'm kind of joking, but it, it would be something that would benefit him. I think. I just feel a bit more confident uh, in the closing minutes. I know Rajon Rondo knows what to do when, when the guys are spaced out at the perimeter, he's going to attack. I know we love, we might, might even be considered partial to Etuan Moore. Uh, none of us will ever go hard on him. So I'd hate taking him out of that lineup. But when it comes to Meritich, I just think he's the Pelicans third best player at this point in time. And I just think you need your best players on the court when you're closing out games, but let's move ahead. Cause I did want to talk about Ogafer and uh, just some of his per 36 uh, minute numbers. He's only getting, getting 16 minutes a game. But if you went out to 36, his numbers would look like this. 11 and a half, 13, and a positive net rating of 11.2. He's at 15.7 minutes per game. Check Diallo is playing a little bit more than him, and I know we want to develop him, and he's on a nice rookie contract, and he is getting better, and he does have a high ceiling, where Mecca Okafor is 35 years old, and we don't know what he's going to give us beyond this year. With that being said, Ali, Okafor is playing lights out basketball and I want to see him more on the court more. Are you in agreement with Kevin and I? Yeah, I am. I don't agree with the small ball lineups um, all the time, especially to finish out games. I feel like that's when we kind of hit trouble on both ends of the floor, because if the offense isn't knocking down their shots or getting to the rim, as we know, it's like, for instance, just last night against the Kings, we kind of hit a bit of a lull there until Drew and uh, Nikola Meritich finished the game strongly. So if, if the offense is not, you know, doing his thing, then suddenly on defensively, the small ball lineup is getting beaten up to death on the inside. Um, and you got to have that presence. You know, I feel like that's why the Pelicans uh, defensively get off to such good starts. It's because they do uh, limit the opponent to one shot, plus Emeka's presence in the paint. God, it's been incredible. I mean, who thought that this guy would come back? Honestly, he, he, he's, he's a better player than I remember him being in the New Orleans out 
uh, uniform. And uh, what I mean by that is his rebounding, his being in the right place, and the shot blocking. He was a bigger scorer, and so the offense would run through him more back in his old days of uh, being the New Orleans Hornet. But defensively, rebounding, and that shot blocking, I feel like is all like a notch improved. And I don't know how that's possible considering he's 35 years old. So, yeah, roundabout way to your question, Preston. I think this guy honestly deserves some closing minutes. And as Kevin just said, why not us, you know, pressure or whatever, put the um, opponent on its heels by dictating the uh, pace and strategy. You know, we don't have to run up and down the court all the time. And uh, I don't know about you guys. I I wanted to ask you this. Does it seem like the guys kind of lose steam? I felt like that happened last night when, uh, and and it happened in other games too, where the guys are just running up and down the court so much that they seem to hit a lull and it's because they're just flat out tired. Um, It seemed like that happened towards the end of the third quarter last night. And so they started the fourth kind of like dead legs, I almost felt like. So, yeah, I would like to see them go ahead and throw Nicola back out there instead of Darius Miller, who I think is honestly a better all-around player. So why don't you use him over Darius? Or just go ahead and give Okafor some center minutes and move AD back to the four for a few minutes. Yeah, the that's other, what... Sorry, the other thing I want to say about Okafor, too, is that, that having him in, in there, it's not necessarily like a defense for offense substitution because... Look at how many screen assists he's given us already this year. I mean, he's he's uh, the best screen setter on this team. And when you're trying to get shooters open, he's very valuable in that situation. So it's also not necessarily a minus have from the offensive end to have him out there. Don't forget the back taps too, Kevin. He keeps of those possessions going I mean, that's rebounding too. and all that. We covered that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and that's a very big part of whenever we talk about DeMarcus Cousins and the the run that we're on, how could anybody predict how effective this guy we got off the scrap heap would be and how the Pelicans could have ended up with Greg Monroe or Terrence Jones and just lucked into this this prized acquisition who hadn't played an NBA minute in, in four years. It's just truly an astonishing story. And Nikola Miritich, his minutes last night, 10 of 12, 26 points and 10 rebounds in 31 minutes. So definitely want to see him in that closing lineup. I don't know if that what that means for Darius Miller, whether you take Rondo off the floor or Etwan Moore off the floor. If you look at positive uh, net ratings, positive minus ratings, Rajon Rondo does carry the lowest of the other players in that lineup. But with that being said, I think he makes everybody around him comfortable. I, I just think that's that's one of those eye test things that makes us sound old. But when, when I look at Rajon Rondo on the court, I think the team as a whole, their confidence grows. But uh, the numbers don't always necessarily back it up. Uh, quickly, uh, let's go to Kevin. DeAndre Liggins, negative nine rating in nine minutes. Uh, I was just talking about eye tests, and here I am looking at, at uh, numbers. W- what do you think about DeAndre Liggins getting minutes at this point? I mean, I- I'm fine with it. You need to rest guys at some point. I mean, once Solomon Hill comes back, he- he's definitely probably going to get all of his minutes cut. And the thing about him is, is he's an athletic defender. He He's not going to give you much on the offensive end, although he has been hitting his shots when he's taken them. Um, Basically, you're using them to spell somebody and you're just hoping you're not giving away a huge lead. And, you know, certain it's not always a player's fault when he's out there and the other team goes on a little bit of a run. You know, it's just, you know, other people around him are tired or he's out there with players that don't necessarily fit or match up the best way against what the other team's throwing out there. So I'm not going to, like, bash on the guy for his, his, his net numbers. I mean, he's a solid one-on-one defender. He's athletic, um, and he, we're not asking him to play a huge role. You're just using him to kind of give a guy some rest and hold, be a placeholder until Solomon Hill comes back. And then hopefully maybe he develops into a little bit better player 
if we need him later on or if we bring him back next year, whatever. But he is what he is. And, you know, I'd rather see him out there than some other players that we used to have on this roster. So I don't mind it. Ali, talk about Liggins quickly. And also, uh, McNamara is going to kill us for this, but... I'm just out on Walt Lemon Jr. and his second uh, 10-day contract is up, I want to say, in four or five days. Uh, talk about those two guys and where you see their their future in terms of minutes played with the Pelicans going forward. Yeah, Kevin pretty much nailed it with Liggins. The biggest thing is he he's a very one-dimensional player. Sure, he's made some shots, so it, it looks like a nice field goal percentage. But when you see him out there on the offense, he, he's limited. He's not running that motion offense like you want where he's a three-pronged threat whether he's going to shoot the ball, drive it, or pass it, you know. So he almost becomes like a Tony Allen on the court without the offensive rebounding and tenacity. Um, and I don't want to say, well, that, that's that's wrong, because he, he's very tenacious on defense, but I just mean all around, all over the court, where Tony Allen's like diving after balls or just being a pest on offense, like I said, with the rebounding and stuff. Liggins doesn't even bring that. So, yeah, I can see why his time is definitely going to be limited. And hopefully uh, Solomon Hill will be back soon, huh? But as far as Walter Lemon, I'm with you, Preston. I think that I do see talent there. I see an explosiveness. I see certain things with him. But the Pelicans have no time to experiment right now, nor I think should they even look forward to keeping him because he doesn't seem like he's going to amount to that much if he does find him or find that comfortableness in the NBA. So I'm with you. I would rather see a Jordan Crawford or, you know, get somebody else in. Because Walter Lemon, I don't think Alva Gentry can rely on him at all. And Lemon uh, will have the opportunity. It's unfortunate that the January 14th two-way contract deadline is so far behind us because I do think he would have been a good candidate for that Mike James slot. Uh, of course, Mike James asked to be released after that point in time, I think, to to go and play in Europe. So that, that could have been a, a landing spot for Walt Lemon. But uh, mm-hmm. his time could be coming to a close soon. We'll see what happens, though. Uh, Mick Tooman, a good friend of the program, Kevin, he's saying Drew's all-star level play has created a problem. How to keep Pels from falling off when he's not in the game less of a problem versus weak opponents but bigger problem in playoffs suggestions question mark well i mean one thing he's going to play more minutes in the playoffs there's no doubt about that so he's going to be in the court more and you're going to see a team that staggers the minutes better where there's always going to be one of those go-to guys on the court whether it's ad miritich or or holiday so there's always going to be a dominant player a player that you can hang your hat on and rely on in on the court all the time during the playoffs. So I don't necessarily see that as a problem. I mean, I, I don't want to, I can't say that a guy elevating his game to an all-star level is a problem. I mean, that's, I mean, it's incredible that he's got to that point and can do everything on the court. Now he does everything we've always wanted him to do. And, you know, of course you're going to have a drop off when he leaves, but then there's always somebody to step up and pick up that slack. And then, you know, Ian Clark has stepped up. He's been playing incredible lately. Uh, you know, Darius Miller has shined at moments. Etwan Moore has shined at moments. You know, so there's always going to be another person that can step up. And in the playoffs, like I said, they're going to stagger. There's only going to be, uh, you know, very tiny amount of minutes where one of those guys isn't on the court, if not all one of them always being on the court. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. I definitely wouldn't lose sleep about a guy becoming an all-star level, you know, probably most improved player in the league uh, winner. Um, So rest easy. Don't worry about that. I'm going to skip the next question because I think it's a Kevin question and I'm going to go to Ali. This is from Phelps a lot. 
Will Solomon Hill or Frank Jackson play this season? I'm, I'm going to say no to Frank. So why don't you just concentrate on Solomon Hill? Yeah, I think Solomon Hill is going to show up sooner or later. I mean, I think the Pelicans would have already announced that, you know, it's just not going to happen this season because they've got a chemistry that's working. They've won, obviously, 10 games in a row. They've got a rotation of, like, nine deep. So it's not like they're begging for him to return at this point. Um, so I think that the idea has to be that – and also he's been traveling with the team press, and I think that's always a good inkling of how close a player is to returning. The fact that he's skipping his rehab at home and he's uh, just traveling with the team like he did on this last trip. The fact that uh, we'll probably see him. I mean, you know, we've been trying to guess as to when he'll return, but you got to think it's got to be two weeks or less by now. Because if not, then obviously there's no point. So you might as well just go ahead and call it a season and make that announcement. So I expect to see him. By the way, thanks for having me, Faith, in answering Kevin's question. Well, (laughs) I, I, I'm kind of partial to this one for Kevin, being that Kevin is a season ticket holder and this is a ticketing question. And uh, somebody posted on Twitter just minutes ago, uh, kind of uh, admonishing media types who get free tickets to games. I, I want to say it was uh, Jason from Bourbon Street Shots saying that uh, it, it's it's not right for media members who get free tickets to be, you know, telling fans that they need to go out to the arenas. Rather, it's it's better to target businesses and, and target New Orleans as a whole. I, I don't know. I'm not saying it in very important but being that Kevin is a season ticket holder and he is someone who pays to see each and every game, Tim W. writes, what can the Pelican staff do to get more butts in the seat? Is it just an issue with corporate bulk ticket sales or do they focus on promotion on the South Shore too much? I personally think promotion on the North Shore is lacking and has been since the team first moved to NOLA. What are your thoughts, Kevin? Well, I mean, obviously, if that guy lives on the North Shore and he's not seeing much promotion out there, he knows better than I about that because I'm never out on the North Shore. So I'm not really sure what their efforts are there. I mean, I've had a lot of disappointment, I would say, in the way that the team gets marketed. Um, you know, I I feel like they just miss all the time on little things that if they just turned it up a notch uh, or made something slightly different, whether it's design of merchandise of gear of you know song selection or entertainment or you know celebrity endorsements or branding issues all of these sort of things were just slightly better it would have a little bit more effect but the reality is is also that you need to have a winning team to get people that want to spend their money i mean we have a very poor city so it's it's hard to support um you know, uh, two sports franchises, especially one that has 42 games at home a year, it's hard to pony up that kind of money. I understand that. I mean, I'm not a rich person. I'm a working class person, middle class person. So, you know, it's it's even a little bit of a stretch for me. And um, so, but winning and providing a team that gives this much entertainment that they're doing right now is doing their part. And we're starting to see the city be energized about it. I know at my job, I see a ton of the public, you know, and I'm starting to see a lot of Pelican fear coming in there now, whereas before, especially in past seasons, I really didn't. And and now, you know, like I said, even my general manager uh, who hates basketball is like talking to me every day about the Pelicans, wants to get updates. He's following them. He's listening to uh, Ali on the Eric Asher show. All of these things, you know, the city's excited about it and winning does cure that. But I still hope that they don't get lazy and just settle for, all right, we're we're getting a winner and we're starting to sell tickets. We don't need to make changes to the way we market uh, our, our uh, team. And I hope they do really do a deep dive to understand 
what this city's culture is. You know, we are, we're, uh, I think somebody brought it up on my Twitter uh, timeline a couple weeks ago when we were sort of discussing this idea about how um, all of their promotion seems to be aimed at white guys night out. You know, like everything is like marketed towards, you know, white men in the age range of 20 to 45, where we're a city that's like 60% black. And also basketball is a sport that women love as well. So we need to be more inclusive and embrace that in our marketing efforts and in the entertainment we provide pregame, in-game and halftime. And I think that will play a, a huge role. Uh, and getting the city more energized because you still see people who are from here who are fans of other teams who haven't embraced this team yet as their own because while they changed the name and they made it more localized, they still haven't really sunk into uh, New Orleans culture. And the only New Orleans culture that they've sort of adopted is Mardi Gras, which is the easiest, laziest, and maybe sort of most superficial now um, aspect of New Orleans life. So I would like to see him dig deeper, but at the same time, winning games has proven to be something that's getting people in the arena because I know firsthand from talking to people involved that there's hardly any lower level tickets left for the rest of this season and that the 300 levels are selling out fast too. So that's great, but we need to also look at how we market uh, the team and how we advertise and the companies we have partnerships with to really reach uh, the people that live in the city and that are from the city. All right. Those questions were from Phelps a lot, McTuman and Tim W. Thank you guys so much for that. Let's get to our preview for the Wizards game. This is a big one. It's in the Smoothie King Center. And it's, as you'll see in my preview that's coming out tomorrow, make sure you check that out, thebirdrights.com. Uh, how do you like that plug, Ollie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's kind of like looking in a mirror, looking at this Washington Wizards team. They're not going to have any sympathy for the Pelicans. They're out John Wall. Uh, they're potentially out Otto Porter Jr., who's got a bruised hip and is considered day-to-day just as Anthony Davis is. He's considered doubtful at this point, but that could change tomorrow. You've got the class of 05, Marcin Gortat, against the class of 04, Nemeka Okafor. You've got Miritich against Markeith Morris, who's 38% from mm-hmm. the floor. These guys are locked in a tight battle. They're at the fourth seed, just like the Pelicans. They're two wins ahead of the 76ers. They're tied with the fifth-seeded Pacers. They're two wins behind the Cleveland Cavaliers, or two losses, I should say, behind the Cleveland Cavaliers. They are locked in every bit as tight a battle as the Pelicans are at this point. They've lost three of four, although those games were against the Raptors, the Pacers, and the Warriors. They just enjoyed an overtime victory over the Miami Heat. And in terms of uh, the superstars that will be on the floor, Drew Holiday is fifth in minutes played in the NBA right now. And just ahead of him at 36.7 minutes per game is Bradley Beal. So these teams could not be more similar at this point in time, in my opinion. Both teams desperately need this game. Ollie, what do you think happens? I think you're absolutely right. Good breakdown, Preston. Bravo. Um, I'm going to say that they're going to win. I'm not going to be the guy that says the winning streak's going to stop. Remember um, when this all started, I had predicted that the Pelicans going to go 3-0. and when we had David Grubb, I think that what was at the Brooklyn Detroit Lakers series or something like that. We were and talking the Bucks about was in there. It was it was before there. the All Star game, Preston, you asked me my prediction. I'm like, why not? Let's go three and zero. Uh, and guess what? I'm not going to change from it. So I think it's going to be close. Yeah, there's no doubt, Preston. Pre- the Wizards, even though they lost three or four, they have played surprisingly well without John Wall. It seems like the whole team has rallied. They're showing 
that they're more than just, you know, that backcourt of Beal and uh, Wall. So they've got a lot of talent. Uh, um, Otto Porter is going to be versus uh, each one more is going to be another nice, interesting battle for me. I think that uh, it's going to be a high scoring affair, but I'm going to give it to the Pelicans. I'm going to say, even if AD doesn't play, they're going to win. As long as, you know, Drew needs, is going to need to have a big game. Nicole Merritt is going to have to drop his 20. And uh, they're, they're just going to need to push that pace without AD when they're going to be running one big, whether it's Okafor, Miritich at the five, maybe some Diallo too. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but I'm giving them the win, baby. All right. And that would be the longest win streak. I, I want to say ever, if not uh, yeah. tied for second. And no. uh, sorry, go ahead. No, that, you're absolutely right, Preston. Winning 11 games in a row would be the longest winning streak of the Pelicans franchise 16 year history. So let's see if Kevin's in agreement. Yeah, I mean, I think you're well, poetically speaking, we're going for our 11th win and the and it's really going to come on the shoulders of our number 11 to carry us to that win. Ooh. So, you know, I'm pretty excited about that. I think he's up for it. Um, you know, we're going to count on him and Miritich to be very productive. Um, you know, I I watched a couple of Wizards, like I'm a big John Wall fan. So once he went down, I kind of stopped paying attention that much to the Wizards. But then when uh, they started winning a lot, I was like, well, let me see what's going on. I watched two of their games and uh, Sadoransky is very impressive. You know, he's a tall point guard who can see the floor well. He finds all kind of nifty holes to get balls through, create a lot of good shots. So I think it's, you know, probably Drew is going to be on Bradley Beal, but we need Rondo to really step up and uh, use his uh, wingspan to get uh, block some of Sadoransky's uh, vision and in, in some of the holes he finds to get passes through. Hopefully we get a lot of tip balls because uh, that guy, you know, he's a big point guard and he can really find spots to get guys open. Um, I think it's going to be a very close game, but I think number 11 is going to carry us through that one to the 11th win. Now the Wizards are 11 and six without John Wall and uh, Bradley Beal famously had that quote, everybody eats. One more tidbit that I want you guys to have. And I, I am going into depth with this with Jake Whitaker of Bullets Forever after this. So make sure you stay tuned for that. But the Wizards have been struggling at the end of games. And in their last six contests, all their games have been decided by eight points or less. Whereas the Pelicans, uh, five points or less, have been exceptional as of late. I saw something, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I want to say in the last 18 games, the Pelicans are 14-4 and four in games decided by five points or less. In overtime, they're 6-2 and two on the year. And there have just been several uh, articles, including one on Bullets Forever, about Scott Brooks, his lineups, Bradley Beal's uh, shooting at the end of games, where the Wizards just haven't been able to close. So if the Wizards get out to an early lead, you know, leave it to the Pelicans. They'll have an opportunity to close the gap at the end, even without Anthony Davis. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. It's going to be hard fought. It is definitely 100% going to come down to the final six minutes. So everybody make sure that uh, you support your pals in whatever fashion that means to you. Uh, for Kevin, for Ollie, is there anything you guys want to say before we let you go? Let's start with Ollie. Let's just keep that winning streak going. That's all I care about. All right, Kevin. Um, I can't wait to see another big man try to think he has a mismatch on Drew Holiday. Uh, so I'm looking forward to Markeith Morris on Drew Holiday, thinking he's going to take him to the rim and then Drew strip him. All right, stay tuned. After this, we've got Jake Whitaker of Bullets Forever, the editor-in-chief. Uh, for those of you, uh, Ali, Kevin, thank you for your time. And don't forget to rate our podcast five stars. All right, now for part two of the Bird Calls, we welcome on to the show editor of BulletsForever.com, Jake Whitaker. Thanks for joining us, Jake. Oh, well, thank you for having me. 
Now, I appreciate you taking the time. I know that Jake uh, is hustling all over Winchester, Virginia right now, trying to find a parking spot so that he, he can be on our show. So thank you so much for doing that. Again, you can follow him at Jake Whitaker. That's W-H-I-T-A-C-R-E and at Bullets Forever, where you can find frequent posts and articles. He writes daily. He's a hardworking man. Uh, tell me, Jake, are you going to be live tweeting during the game on Friday night? Um, it is looking like it. Um, <laughs> we will, uh, one way or another, we will, uh, you know, there will definitely be, um, lot, lots of conversation. Uh, not as many, uh, John Wall, DeMarcus cousin jokes as <laughs> I had anticipated, um, about a month ago, but, um, we'll, we'll definitely have some fun with it. Yeah, that's always a fun thing for our uh, for our listeners to be able to get some insight behind what you guys are thinking throughout the course of a game. And it's funny that you brought up DeMarcus Cousins and John Wall, because just sitting here six months ago, Pelicans fans were uh, so despondent with the five-year, $150 million incentive-laden deal that Drew Holiday got. And we were all, of course, dreaming about reuniting the Wildcats, John Wall with DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis. I think dating back to the All-Star game last year, uh, John Wall was trying to actively recruit Boogie. And so now we're at a position where uh, I, I guess the popular national story is that Drew Holiday is playing much better, uh, most improved candidate, potential defensive player of the year. That might just be uh, the local part of the news. But from our perspective, that's how he appears. Whereas John Wall really hasn't been getting a lot of positive press lately. He left the team at 26 and 22. They've gone 11 and 6 since. Uh, three of those last four were against the Warriors, the Raptors, and the Pacers. So can't fault him too much for that. Bradley Beal has been describing it as now everybody eats. And even Gortat had that like public squabble with John Wall. Uh, reportedly, they needed to meet and, and mend the fences over us. Tell us, why are the Wizards being so successful without John Wall? And from your perspective, like, is there any credence to any of this talk? We get a lot of it in New Orleans, better without Boogie. Do you actually think the, the Wizards are, in fact, without John, better without John Wall? Well, I, I think what it comes down to is they're better without a John Wall who isn't 100%. And I, I think what you know, everything we've seen has shown is that, you know, he can still put up great numbers when he's not himself, but the knee injury he suffered early in the season that necessitated the surgery here um, about a month ago, um, you know, he, he could still have that great lateral, I mean, uh, you know, end to end speed, but he didn't have the same lateral quickness to be a force defensively. And it really started to show in, his, his lack of activity when he didn't have the ball in his hands. And so, you know, I, I think what this just shows is that Wall really needed to um, take his seat for a bit, get his knees right. And so hopefully that it can get him back to where he needs to be because when he is the kind of player that he was last season, being third team all NBA, he makes a, a huge impact. But, you know, when he's limited, then he, you know, is a little more replaceable and, you know, I, I think thankfully, um, you know, this stretch has shown that the Wizards do have, you know, some more skills in their bag. Bradley Beal's taken on a bigger role. Porter's taken a bigger role. Sadoransky has been great. But um, they, they definitely need Wall to be everything they can be. Um, but, you know, it's just a matter now of seeing, you know, what level will he be at once he's clear to play. Definitely. And uh, I'm obviously pulling your leg about the team being better without John Wall. Every team could use a top 10 or top 15 player wherever you want to place him on their squad. And he certainly belongs in that conversation. Uh, but just to just to move on from that story, uh, Thomas Sadoransky, like you said, has been terrific. What has led to his uh, success alongside Bradley Beal? 
Well, I, I think it's just been um, a matter of, of finally getting an opportunity. Scott Brooks kind of had this thing where he was just yanking his minutes all around his first two seasons. But, you know, when um, Wall first got injured and Sadoransky finally kind of had a cemented role initially as the backup point guard, um, you know, he performed really well. And then um, it's just transitioned really well into this, uh, new role as a starter. He's he's a nice foil, well not foil, um, compliment to Beal. Um, you know because he's been a better three point shooter. He's not like ever going to be a high volume guy, but if you leave him open and give him time to shoot, um, he's been very effective in that role. And he gives you nice defense. He's actually been surprisingly good on the glass, which has been useful because um, you know they they don't they're not going to have the same transition defense without Wall, but if you have a guy that can hit the glass, it kind of helps offset some of that. So I think it's, you know, it's worked out well. Um, you know, he's no John Wall, but um, I think, you know, hopefully when Wall comes back, it gives them another option because he can play point guard. He can flex to the wing a little bit. And uh, he just has a lot of uh, unique skills that are desperately needed on this team. It'll definitely be an interesting matchup having him paired with Rashawn Rondo while Drew Holiday and Bradley Beal go head-to-head. Let's talk a bit about the Wizards as a whole. Obviously, it's a very tight-knit race over in the East, just as it is in the West. Uh, you guys have lost three or four, but I mentioned three. those were three very difficult opponents. And you recently defeated the Miami Heat 117-113 to 113 in overtime on Tuesday night. Now, the story recently has been Scott Brooks and the Wizards' inability to finish games. And you guys had the opportunity to do so in regulation. Tell us a bit about their performance Tuesday and what are some of the more popular storylines in addition to finishing? Okay. So yeah, basic, basically the wizards, you know, jumped out to a really big lead. That's kind of just been a, a common thing that they've done, you know, with wall, without wall. And in the fourth quarter, they just can't seem to execute. Well, it just kind of devolves into either, you know, John Wall or Bradley Beal or whoever it is kind of resorting to these um, ISO sets or sets that just have a very little uh, creativity, very little motion. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of like, a you know, the old prevent defense, but it's on offense. And um, it just gave the Heat a lot of opportunities to um, get back into the game in regulation. And then even in overtime, um, the Wizards had a four-point lead uh, with under 30 seconds left and nearly gave that away. But, uh, you know, thankfully they did get the um, free throws they needed, even though um, there was uh, the last two-minute report where the rest said that, you know, they missed some calls that probably could have gone in the Heat's favor. But, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, the Wizards will take whatever they can get at this point. And, um, you know, so I think that worked out well for them. But, um, you know, there's still definitely some issues with just, um, you know, trying to figure out uh, the best way to keep the offense going when there aren't those easy transition opportunities. And it's a lot harder to kind of execute the same offense that works so well for the first three quarters of the game. Now, just to address the importance of this matchup, obviously we're in two separate conferences. It's not like we're rivals or anything. That would probably be the Celtics to the Wizards. Uh, you guys have had that famous uh, funeral dress-up game last season, uh, although the Celtics have had a bit of turnover uh, this season, so it might be a very different-looking team. Uh, but this one's still important because you guys are 37-28. You've got the 76ers hot on your heels at the uh, sixth seed. 
two wins back in the win column at 35 and 28. And of course, you're tied with the Pacers at 37 and 28. So this one's going to be important. And just like the Pelicans, who are kind of limping into Friday night's matchup, you guys have a couple of injuries of your own. Of course, John Wall, as we addressed, is not going to be playing. In addition to that, Otto Porter has a bruised hip in his day-to-day, according to reports. Do you have any updates on his availability? Um, last I heard, I know he missed practice on Wednesday. I, I haven't had a chance to check on today, but I, I, I don't think they had practice anyway, but, um, yeah, Otto Porter has had hip issues throughout the season and really throughout his NBA career. So that's always something to keep an eye on. And frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if they maybe gave him the night off considering it's a back to back and, you know, the, the game against Miami on Saturday is probably a little more important, you know, considering, you know, conference tiebreakers and everything else. But, um, yeah, I mean, without Porter, it's going to be a lot more difficult for Washington. Um, you just, you know, Kelly Oubre has done a solid job in his role, but when you uh, have Oubre and Porter's pot spot, then it makes it a little harder to find someone to fill Oubre's spot. And, um, you know, so it's just kind of a, a snowball effect. So we'll see how that plays out. But um, yeah, Porter definitely makes a difference and every game matters. So hopefully he is not on the shelf too long. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, hopefully you guys will rest him for your matchup against the Heat this weekend. The Pelicans likely, uh, of course, were without DeMarcus Cousins and Solomon Hill, uh, but likely to be without Anthony Davis as well. I don't know if you were privy to that game on a Wednesday night where he uh, severely sprained his ankle. We're still waiting on the MRI. The x-rays were negative, but apparently there was a lot of swelling. So a uh, lingering doubt as to his availability. It's been all quiet on the Pelicans front. So uh, fearing the worst, hoping for the best, but either way, this one's going to be exciting. The Pelicans are going to sell out the Smoothie King Center, hopefully have some kind of whiteout uh, now that the team's on a 10-game wing streak. Definitely excited for this one. And hopefully going into this one, the last time these two teams met, the Pelicans lost by 10. It was in Washington. And your leading scorer was none other than Mike Scott, who scored 24 points, lights out from three-point range, couldn't miss that night. Can we expect the same thing tomorrow night? Uh, Probably not. Um, Mike (laughs) Scott uh, at that point was just kind of in the middle of this um, absurd streak where he was um, like hitting 70% from the field, I think in December. And uh, you know, he, he was bound to have a regression and, and he's kind of come into that now. He's still, he still plays an important role and, you know, he's one of the few reliable offensive options, but you know, he doesn't uh, create his own shot the way a lot of other, you know, six men do. So, um, you know, if, if, if the Pelicans are good at, guarding him off the ball in this one, then he can be uh, negated a lot more than we saw in that first game. Hopefully. Uh, It'll definitely be exciting to see 2004 uh, um, number two overall pick, Emeka Okafor, against 2005 first-round pick, Marcin Gortat. Those guys are likely going to play a a bigger role than they would have, say, a week ago. But I just want to thank you for your time. Uh, This, of course, is Jake Whitaker of Bullets Forever. He is the editor-in-chief. And as always, guys, if you like the show, go on iTunes, rate us five stars. Just uh, search through your Apple Podcast app. Thank you to Ali and Kevin, OTG Network. Um, Jake, before we let you go, of course, follow him at Jake Whitaker and at Bullets Forever. Is there anything our Pelicans fans can see on your site to learn more in advance of tomorrow's game? Yeah, um, we actually just uh, ran something today about uh, Bradley Beal's workload in recent weeks. Um, He's been 
you know, just like Anthony Davis playing a lot of minutes recently. And, uh, you know, like Davis, there are some past injury concerns. So um, we just kind of tried to talk through, you know, some of the risks that go along with that and trying to kind of weigh the risk and the rewards of trying to, you know, push for a high seed in the East while also keeping Beal fresh enough so that when Wall returns, they can make a deep playoff run. It's remarkable uh, how similar our two journeys are at this point, albeit in two separate conferences, both uh, both, uh, currently slated in the fourth seed, both with some major injuries, just trying to slog through the finish line. Uh, Again, thank you to Jake Whitaker of Bullets Forever. I'm Preston Ellis. Let's go, pals. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Geico presents oh, yet another voicemail from your roommate. Hi. So, about the kitchen. Turns out when there's a grease fire, you're not supposed to throw water on it. <laughs> Who would have known, right? Anyways, the fire department is here, and it's totally cool. Give me a call back when you get a chance. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help keep your personal property protected, like if danger is your roommate's middle name. Visit GEICO.com to see how easy it is to switch and save on renter's insurance. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.